You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo. And my name is Claire Perini. And welcome back to a Regent College Podcast with Lisa Perini and Octavio Fernandez. <laughs> Oh, friends, it's uh, good to have you back listening with us. And it's good to have David Taylor back with us. We, is this his third podcast, Octavio, did we decide? His second podcast yes, with us? Is. His third podcast. So he's a, he's, a, he's a regular on the Regent College podcast. And today we talked about his latest book, which is called Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide to Life. So we had a conversation with him about... A lot about the imprecatory psalms, so those ones that are the, the angry ones, um, and and what does that sort of what does that look like, and what place does that have in the life of a believer? We talked about how the psalms are a place where we can actually bring our whole selves, um, all of the the full range of the human emotional experience. We can bring those things before God, and the psalms are just a really good example for us in the scriptures of what that looks like, and. We, we sort of talked about, can we say these things to God? Like, is it okay to sort of be angry before God? And We also talk about the place of the Psalms in 21st century Christians in church. But he, he argues that was the prayer book for, for the church, especially in the, in the first 400 years of the church, that was the church's prayer book. Mm. But that has changed throughout uh, history, especially now. Uh, it's, it's, it doesn't hold such a such an important place in our prayer, like personal prayer lives, and in the church's prayer life, uh, in in especially in evangelical churches. So we talked about that, and we also talked about the fact. I mean, the question is, can Christians, in given situations, curse? Use four-letter words. Does that even have a place? In, in, in the life of, of a Christian. I was going to say, the, the book also covers topics like prayer and poetry, honesty and community, justice and enemies, life and death, nations and creation. So it's sort of, it's a really broad look at the Psalms and sort of the the value and the role of them in the life of the individual believer, but also in the life of the mm-hmm. church. So if you if you haven't listened to the other episodes with David Taylor, you may not know that he's the Associate Professor of Theology and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. He's written a number of books. Um, mo- a lot of them centre around worship and the arts, and so or the arts. And so um, and he's an, he's an Anglican priest. He's lectured widely on the arts all sort of around the world. And he and his wife have also uh, done this set of illustrated psalm prayer cards and illumined prayers for life. So if the conversation today gets you thinking, I want to pray the Psalms a little bit more. You could also check out those resources uh, by him and his wife as well. So we hope you enjoy our third conversation with David Taylor. David, welcome back to the third of your appearances on the Regent College podcast. It's good to see you. Good to have you. Thank you very much. It's good to be Dave, here for a third time. Yeah, David Taylor is familia here in, in, in the Regent College podcast. Okay. Now, David, we've got a few rapid fire questions and we cannot emphasize the word rapid enough. Okay. So it's just like, I'm going to give you a series of this or this, this or this, this or this, this or this, and you just got to answer. Okay. I'll warn you though. I have a Winnie the Pooh brain. 
And you know what kind of brain that is. It's, it's a very little brain these days. But I'll do my best. I believe in you. Okay. Mozart or Beethoven? Mozart. Vivaldi or Tchaikovsky? I got to have some breaks, so Vivaldi. <laughs> the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Oh, Beatles, hands down. I mean, come on. <laughs> Elvis Presley or the Beach Boys? Ah, oh, the Beach Boys all through high school. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, okay. all through high school. <laughs> Bethel or Hillsong? I mean, I'm going to go with Hillsong for very specific reasons. Okay. That we, we can like, hear we can... or it's top yeah. secret because they're your friends? No, I, I think they just have a broader range. Um, mm. I like some of the things that come out of Bethel. Um, but, of course, this fall has been a little bit more tricky on the Bethel front because of right. politics. Yes, right. Got it, got it, got it. Right. Okay, DC Talk or the Newsboys? DC Talk, hands down. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You were going to break my heart if you said Newsboys, man. A new thing, my friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shakira. Or Ricky Martin? Shakira. I need a dance. <laughs> like like Shakira dance, not Ricky Martin dance. <laughs> and this is a little little diversion. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis? It's not fair. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with Dorothy Sayers, please. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, have to, you have to choose one, man. I have to choose. I mean, if we're talking about Opus, then we'll just go with Lewis, just because I have a, you know, a large... Right. You know, my <laughs> You two or Queen? You know that's not a fair question. Of course I'm gonna say you two. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so you have biased. no choice that but to so say biased. you two. If you know anything about David Taylor, if you don't know anything about David Taylor and why he said you two, then just Google you two, David Taylor, it'll become clear. Yeah, just just Google who's Bono's best friend. And <laughs> you'll see David Taylor's face. Did, did I tell Along I did tell you about that time that he he um he shouted my name in a concert? Did I tell you that? No. What? No, you never did. Hold on, hold on. Even better. I can only share this with you guys in private. Nobody's listening. <laughs> but um, uh, when they were in Boston, this is 2015. Mm -hmm. at the, so the concert in Boston, at the end of his concerts, oftentimes, not always, they'll do 40, the song 40. Mm -hmm. Um And so, you know, they've done a few encores and then, you know, there's this long silence, like, are they going to leave? Not, we all know that they're not going to leave. And all of a sudden you, you can hear that intro, you know, happen. And then like the chills kick in and everybody's like, sorry. Mm -hmm. And then Bono steps up to the mic. He's like, David Taylor, David Taylor, this is for you. And I didn't realize oh, he was shouting dude. my name or saying my name until my wife punched me. She's like, he's talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That's why I have to say, Paul. I mean, you could have said, David Taylor, I invite you to the to the stage to come and sing. Oh, no, no, I could not do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, two more. Tupac or Biggie? Man, now you're kind of working out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to go Tupac. <laughs> okay, great. And then Tupac, James okay. Brown or Michael Jackson? I mean, I, I was suckled on... Michael Jackson, I mean, all throughout the 80s, you know, um, <laughs> all the music videos, uh, you know. Uh -huh. Yeah. You James Brown is just a little bit before. I mean, you can appreciate him after the fact, but when Michael Jackson is like part of the soundtrack of your childhood and teenage years. You can't say no. Yeah. Same with the Beach Boys, right? You know, we asked a lot of those questions to Jeremy Begbie, and he chose James Brown over 
I mean, that's a comment on his age, I guess. But he asked, he he chose James Brown over Michael Jackson. Okay, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna delve into the depths of your childhood. So what if I said the Beach Boys or Michael Jackson? Because you were raised on both of them. Okay, okay. So um, Michael Jackson, I would listen to on the sly because Michael Jackson was not something we would probably listen to, you know, Mm -hmm. in our family. But Beach Boys were a little bit safe. Um, (laughs) The truth is, is my 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 really close guy friends in high school. We, uh, there were like four or five of us and we would go to one of our friend's house. He lived sort of on, in this country, in this house in the country. And we would work out together because we're mm. high school boys and that's what mm-hmm. we do, try to get ripped. And we would listen to Golden Oldies, you know, uh-huh. that's what we would listen to to get pumped up. So there's a lot yeah. of Buddy Holly and, um, uh-huh. the Beast Boys and, um, you know, the old Hank Williams and. So uh-huh. uh, unusual music to to, to work out to. <laughs> yes. Okay, so final answer, Beach Boys, I guess. It Beach is. Boys Michael Michael Jackson. It's such an interesting story. To, I make Michael Jackson is you know, <laughs> infinitely, you know, uh, capable uh, musician. But <laughs> Beach Boys is just such an interesting time in history. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. the 50s, post-war period. Yeah. It's just an interesting story that it tells. And really, Michael Jackson has all these different eras, right? Like the yeah, 25 totally. and then yeah. like the early and then the later. So I feel like it's like you are you have to choose which Michael Jackson. <laughs> right. Interesting. <laughs> we we could spend the whole podcast unpacking both of those, but we won't. We won't. We won't. Which we'll would talk be a- amazing, though. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Let's just end with this. Just for the record, Jeremy Begbie's wrong. <laughs> for the, thank you for putting that on the record <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy we love you it's okay yeah. you can be wrong sometimes <laughs> okay so David we're going to talk about your book where and where you've been you've been writing about the Psalms it's called Open and Unafraid the Psalms as a Guide to Life um, and you would say that as 21st century, century people uh, we may be the exemption when it comes to the fact that we've neglected the Psalms in the life of the church um, which, which, and that they have been more normative, you know, th- throughout church history. But why, why are we an exemption or an exception to that? Well, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a, a, a complicated history, right? Church history yeah. is complicated. So let's just right. summarize. Let's just oversimplify, and say that for the first fifteen hundred years, the Psalms were the hymn book, the prayer book. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Christians from the early era on asked themselves, "What can we sing and pray?" The answer is sort of readily at hand, the Psalms. Because mm-hmm. you see that the early church, Jesus, make a good deal of the Psalms. It's one of the things that Paul, you know, enjoins the mm-hmm. the, the faithful at Corinth and Ephesus to sing Psalms along with other things. But once you get to kind of the, the, the modern era, the early modern era, you have sort of this advent and explosion not really an advent, as it hadn't happened before. It's not that people hadn't written hymns. That is non-scripture uh, specific mm-hmm. based songs. Mm-hmm. They did, um, but you have this flourishing, this explosion mm. in the modern era, and so the Wesleys and the Watts and so on and so forth. You certainly see that right in the 17th and 18th centuries. And um, while the Psalms are still regarded in that time as kind of definitive sort of this benchmark for the kind of music that Christians should be singing. 
Um, now the practice of psalm singing becomes more localized or some traditions or denominations or communities will make mm-hmm. more or less of it. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a slow and gradual process. So by the time you get to the 20th century, largely Protestantism, obviously, uh, more so than, say, Catholicism, which would embed the psalms within the liturgy, uh, which is yeah. true for, you know, Lutherans or Anglicans. You would read psalms on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but more specifically, say, free church traditions, non-denom, um, mm-hmm. the psalms will now be accessed in more occasional or piecemeal ways. Mm-hmm. So it's the case today, right? A lot of our song sort of repertoire has maybe bits and pieces of psalm phrasing. It's not terrible. It's not the end of the world. But the psalms as a corpus are no longer regarded as this uh, definitive, defining, fundamental grammar for talking about God. That is, mm-hmm. uh, the presumption being, and I, I say a little bit of this in the book, that if you want to learn how to talk to God and listen to God, uh, it's not that you can't do it on your own. It's not that you know if you grew up on the proverbial lonely island, you couldn't say good prayers to God. Of course you can. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you want to learn how to pray fully, faithfully, fully, truthfully, fully, fully, mm-hmm. you need to be taught. Because the mm-hmm. only way that we can know God is if God initiates you know, the act of self-revelation. Right? I mm-hmm. cannot on my own say, well, this is who you are. Even though, mm-hmm. again, by virtue of being made in the image of God, so and so forth, I have some sense, you know, of of who God is. But God mm-hmm. always takes the initiative, right, to disclose Himself. Mm-hmm. And so we would say that with Jesus, right? But I guess the argument I make is it also relates to prayer. That is, mm-hmm. you don't get to say, "Well, we have we need Jesus to know who God is, character, and nature." But everything else we can figure it out on our own. I guess the case I try to make is God has given us a prayer book, one of the biggest mm-hmm. books in the Bible, mm-hmm. in order to teach us to give us a grammar to know how to talk uh, to him and talk with others, you know, praying, mm. as it were. And, and when we do that, then we discover how perhaps our personalities may um, incline us towards what I would call def- deficient or defective prayer habits. Mm. Our family mm-hmm. cultures mm. do the same thing. Our church cultures do the same thing. So we have to be retrained, which is yeah. why so often we feel overwhelmed by the Psalms, intimidated by the Psalms, put off by the Psalms, um, mm. you know, whatever else you want to say. Mm. Because we see things in the Psalms which involve a kind of a manner of addressing God which seems foreign, scary, mm. off-putting, disrespectful, mm. dishonoring, you know, whatever mm, it is, yeah. presumptuous, indulgent, you know, all these things. Because our personality, family culture, church culture sort of have formed us to... You talk to God in X way. Mm-hmm. And even like, you know, like charismatic Pentecostal traditions who may make uh, perhaps more use of the Psalms, you know, because it, it, they're such um, worship-oriented traditions, like sort of the default setting, yeah. you know, as a, to be a Pentecostal in the world is to be one who wants to sing songs all the time mm-hmm. and pray at length. But even then, I would say there's a, a piecemeal yeah. There's a canon within a canon that that will sometimes occur, and so yeah. you kind of cut and paste the, mm. the the mini psalter that you think, well, that's going to tell my heart story to God. Yeah. And what I'm trying to say in the book is, actually, the whole thing is is teaching and training you how mm-hmm. to tell your heart story to bring it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, big a big big piece of this is when you read the Psalms is like what. 
are you allowed to say to God? And when you're saying God provided a prayer book and, and a song book and said, like, okay, you're allowed to say this to me. Go. And it, because I don't know, be, before I, when I used to read the psalm, I was like, I can't say these things. This is why, I mean, I, I better study this because this some, something's going to tell me you can't do this. But when you're provided with language and with feelings and with realness in, in God telling, yeah, you're allowed to say this, go. If it's, it's liberating, it's you grow in your prayer life, you grow in your recognition of your own humanity and, and what, who God is, what he can actually, quote unquote, take from you, be it anger, be it language. And one of the phrases I love from the book is you say, in the Psalms, we can encounter a faith that defeats our tendency to try to be holy without being human first. That's like a boom, boom moment. For me. I was, that was like... Oh, that's so true. Please, please talk about that a little bit. Okay, so because the Psalms require honesty of us, in all mm. honesty, I'm quoting Kathleen Norris there. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not as amazing as you thought I was up to this moment. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, that's one of the things that Kathleen Norris uh, writes about, and I quote her in my conclusion. I start the concluding chapter by describing her experience, her journey into the Psalms. And in the church of her childhood, uh, her experience of church and worship and prayer was you get your act together first, and then you mm -hmm. talk to God, or you come mm -hmm. and you look pretty in order to talk to God. You behave mm -hmm. well. And so all these things add up to maybe a shorthand of be holy, as it were, mm -hmm. and then everything else follows from that. But in the Psalms... She discovers that it's the other way around, that you bring your humanity, your whole humanity, mm -hmm. and in bringing your whole humanity, then holiness begins to grow. Mm -hmm. And so one of the arguments that I make is sort of the basic, I guess, thesis of the book is that God has given us the Psalter as a, what I call, say, a, a liturgical, devotional, prayerful antidote to our primordial sin or the, the effects of our primordial sin. And the effects of the primordial sin is to hide from God and to run away from God. Mm -hmm. It is to hide from others and to run mm -hmm. away from others. And it is to hide from ourselves mm -hmm. and to run away mm -hmm. from ourselves. So, so the effects of sin is sort of all these proclivities to want to hide. And so, you know, Adam and Eve hide from themselves, right? Um, mm -hmm. They hide from their own bodies. They hide from the mm -hmm. truth by hiding behind lies. Um, they hide from God. And so the, the Psalms are this gift to help pry us open again and to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and to use the language of Genesis, to be naked, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's mm -hmm. nothing to hide. And so that, that is where our humanity comes in, um, what's in our brains, our thoughts, our feelings, and our hearts, our bodies, our histories, yeah. our relationships, the things that we do in the dark and things that we do in the open. All of mm -hmm. these things we bring to God so that in this place of sanctified nakedness, as it were, or, or, mm -hmm. or, or a safe nakedness, like it's mm -hmm. safe because we're in the hands of, of one who cares for us deeply, mm -hmm. our shepherd, we can say all these things. And part of the work of, that the Psalms invite us to do is to name reality rightly. Mm -hmm. Mm. Truth, mm -hmm. honestly, fully. Yeah. And until yeah. we can name these things, I think we always find ourselves with a hand behind our back in terms of our ability to um, live well in the world. You know, the, the mm. wholeness kind of idea 
Mm. So long as I'm hiding and pretending and um, presuming and masking myself, um, yeah. even from my own self, then I, I cannot be healed, I cannot be whole, and thus, I cannot be holy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. And and I, I do think of, of because we, we are sometimes taught to equate church with God and because God is in, in the church, depending if you come, I mean, we, I come from a Catholic background in, in, in South America, Catholic background. You go into a church, God is in the church. And when you go into the church, you you are a different person, right? You, you dress differently. You say things differently. You don't act the way you normally act. You put up a, a, a sort of a facade and, and that's how you approach God. And, and people don't tell you, you have to put a facade when you come to God. But it is intended in in the in the whole liturgy in the whole in the whole environment when you don't I mean you have to you have to act so like approaching a king right you're not the same guy you you are so sometimes that sticks with us and we approach God when we are alone or in small group kind of the same way when we're not allowed to say because he's a king he's the all powerful transcendent God right so we are being taught even through that. Uh, how we approach God and what we can and cannot say to God or, or feel or, yeah. Mm. I mean, maybe the thing about the king, the God is king issue is, I don't, I guess I don't really make an explicit argument about this in the book. Maybe I allude to it, but I guess what I would say is that our ideas of, of a king and what it mm. means to be in the presence of a king don't come from nowhere. They come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And let's just sort of, say things in a simplistic fashion. Our ideas of king may come from, you know, the Davidic, um, Solomonic sort of narrative mm-hmm. of a king, right? Not improper. It's fine. It's there. Um, it provides a kind of model for us. And from there, we sort of say analogously, maybe God is like that kind of king. Mm-hmm. Or we find something, you know, in human history, let's just say the queen of England or Mm -hmm. King George, or whatever, you know, these monarchs in various parts of of human history. And and so, I mean, the truth is, 16th century Reformation in England um, was very much, let's say, the the art and architectural and liturgical renewal was um, fitting itself to the monarchy at the time. So the reason why we have palatial cathedrals is because God as monarch deserves what mm-hmm. our own mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth right. deserves, that kind of space. Yeah. And the way you comport mm-hmm. yourself and what you say and where you stand mm-hmm. and who gets yeah. close, you know. So mm-hmm. it was very much, you know, matched. Mm. But I guess what I want to say, the long and short of it is that we should allow the Psalter to inform our ideas of what it means to be in the presence of a monarch. That is, we don't mm. come from some other idea of monarch and then superimpose it upon the Psalter. We allow the Psalter to, to show us what it looks like to be in the presence of, of mm. God, God mm. shepherd, God mm-hmm. judge, God king, God, you know, the wise mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. It is this way that you ought to be. This is how you mm. ought to talk to this monarch God. Mm-hmm. And so I think in a sense we have it backwards yeah. Mm. In terms of how it is that we should behave in, in the presence of God the King in this case. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's good. Yeah. I want us to be in the presence of God the King. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we in, indulge ourselves. You know, we don't want to slide into impudence, and, you know, sacrilege or whatever. You know, these kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, totally. we, we want to 
comport ourselves in a way that befits, but it's befitting um, a monarch who welcomes this kind of yeah. language, mm-hmm. right? So that ought to now read everything else. So it's mm-hmm. yeah. letting it read outwards rather than an outward reading in. Uh, yeah, totally. If that makes sense. That's key. Yeah, totally. Like no, it does. Yeah. It makes total sense. Um, one, we were, you know, Octavia was saying at the start that feeling of like, oh, can we, can we say that to God? Um, the, the cursed and the imprecatory Psalms are sort of some of those things where it's like, oh, are you sure we should be saying that God should do those things? Um, you know, so do you want to talk about you, you, you have this idea of using the profane sort of language disorder to express sort of profane or disordered experiences. Do you want to speak a little bit to that? Well, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, to be fair to the whole matter, Christians have struggled with these psalms for centuries. Yeah. yeah. And and they struggle with them for a good reason. It's it's yeah. not a it's not because people are stubborn and backwards, you know, back in the olden days um, or stiff-necked today. They really are difficult psalms. And it's not always easy to know what to do with them. The second thing that makes this a complicated transaction is that we have to reckon with the Psalms in the light of the New Testament, in the light of the Incarnation and Pentecost, Mm. in light of something new has occurred. So enemies for the Israelite um, in King David's day or, you know, pre-exile, exile, exile, post-exile will probably mean one thing, and the idea of an enemy will mean a slightly different thing in light of the Gospels and the New mm-hmm. Testament. So transposition is needed at some mm-hmm. level. And that's that's the thing that, that you know, Christian preachers and songwriters and liturgists for centuries have struggled to know what to do with this collection of psalms. Can mm-hmm. we put it on the mouth of a Christian? Can we say these mm-hmm. various curses from Psalm 109 to... 137, and then all the bits and pieces that show up, say at the end of Psalm 139, there's some curse. There's At the end of Psalm 149, there's some curse. And in many ways, like C.S. Lewis uh, has said, we should just get rid of them altogether. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should get rid of them because I think they perform um, an essential function in our life before God and before one another. And the point that I make in the chapter on the Psalms, what I call the Psalms of Anger, but curse Psalms and precatory Psalms, is that these song psalms songs are simply sadness felt acutely? Mm. Um, sort of the ex- example that I mm. sometimes give is if I'm walking through the um, kitchen where we have our dining table and I accidentally hit my thigh up against the corner of the table, the first time I do that, I'll be like, "Oh, ow, that really hurt! <laughs> oh, why did I do that? I should pay attention to where I'm going." Well, let's just say I do it eight more times in the same day, right? Ugh. I mean, what's going to happen is I'm actually going to get a bruise. Yeah. yeah. So it was once sort of a glancing experience of pain. Now it's actually an acute experience of pain. Right. And so I'm going to cry out for two reasons. I'm going to cry out because it really actually hurt me, like physically. But I'm also going to cry out because I may become very angry with myself. Or I'll become Mm -hmm. angry with the stupid table. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we all have experiences like this in our life. There's sort of experiences of loss that fall within sort of this domain of sadness, experiences mm. of loss, um, even tragedies, you know, that that, you know, that provoke sort of weeping and grief and sorrow and, and these kinds of things. But once you go into sort of this domain where all of a sudden it's not just simply experience of loss, but it's loss matched to the sentiment, this ought not to be. Mm. So mm-hmm. when children are trafficked, um, when... 
a woman is raped, mm-hmm. when a family is robbed of its livelihood unjustly, when somebody is kidnapped, um, when people in leadership abuse their leadership, that provokes this ought not to be as a response. Mm-hmm. The yeah. curse psalms and precatory psalms are falling within that domain. That is, we have this yeah. domain of life experience, and the case I make is we need language that befits this, can name this mm-hmm. reality, this mm-hmm. experience of this reality appropriately, fittingly. Mm-hmm. And that's what the curse psalms do, is they have this, you know, variations on the theme of this ought not to be. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I, I'm, I'm quoting Miroslav Wolf in, in, in that chapter where he says one of the the psychological, therapeutic, liturgical functions of these psalms is to help us to name the darkness mm-hmm. within us, but robbing us of uh, permission and desire to act out the darkness, to act out what he calls our revenge right. fantasies. Um, so we, br- we bring our revenge fantasies to God and mm-hmm. to the people of God to say, I am really undone. I am deeply upset. Uh, I am enraged about mm. these things. And um, and now I'm going to shift into what I call this category of profane language. You know, the profane, mm. which is outside of the, mm. the temple space, sacred space. It's, it's this outside space where yeah. everything is in a condition of disorder, right? Where things are demeaned and dehumanized and desecrated in all the de- prefix words, mm-hmm. right? So we need language, and that's <laughs> yeah. what these psalms are doing, is they provide profane language to say, as it were, God damn it. You know, mm-hmm. sexually trafficked children, that is actually God damnable. God, God should damn that thing from mm-hmm. the earth, yeah. right? Um, and so I, uh, I would say that's the basic sort of function, I think, or purpose of these. How do we do them well? Is there a risk of them being misappropriated? Yes. How to do well? Mm. It's not easy. Um, but I think, you know, as Eugene Peterson re- reminds us in, in all of his writing on the Psalms, that the, the proper context for the Psalms is a communal one. Mm. So a community that bears together our wounds, that bears together our cries, that bears together our imprecations. We bear mm-hmm. witness to one another. We hold one another when we are in this experience of feeling undone. Mm. And that's what protects us, you know, from indulging or nursing our own defense. Yeah. Because someone said to me, well, if you let people pray these like in a normal, you know, worship service on a Sunday morning, what's to say that somebody in their own imagination won't start fantasizing about this political party or that political party or this presidential mm-hmm. candidate or that presidential candidate or prime minister, uh, as it were, or those people and these people, right? I'm like, there's nothing. Only God, the Holy Spirit, knows what's going on in people's hearts and minds. So really, it's it's a habit, or to use the Latin word, it's a habitus. Like it's a, it's a it's a liturgical and ecclesial mm-hmm. relational ecology that is able to say, a, it's normal to feel these feelings. B, it's healthy to express these feelings. C, there's a time and a place for all these expressions. The liturgy mm-hmm. is one place. The therapist's office is another. The pastor's office. The friends, you know, living room. Mm-hmm. These are all different contexts. But liturgy has a function where we together can do, you know, this work of bearing witness to all that is not right in the world. Uh, Sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something really, really important that she wants to share with you. 
For the last number of weeks and months, you will have had a little interruption from Octavio and I with me trying to say rgnt.net forward slash give. And the reason for that is um, that we love hearing from people who are enjoying and appreciating the podcast. We love hearing that. And we love hearing that you enjoy it so much that you want to give Regent a little bit of a donation to say thanks. And so this is an invitation to continue doing that or to do that for the first time uh, to allow us to continue to keep having these really good conversations with people all over the world about all sorts of things, about the good, beautiful kingdom of God and how it plays itself out in the life of everyday Christians. So if you would like to give a donation to Regent College to say thanks for the podcast, Octavian and I would be delighted. You can do that at rgnt.net forward slash give. And please, if you'd leave a donation, uh, write in the comment box over there that the podcast sent you. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the rest, rest of, of our the conversation. conversation. I was reading your book, and, and when I read that, uh, idea of using profane language to express uh, disorder experience, disordered language to express disorder experience, because they do justice to what you're feeling. And, and, uh, and then you even quote, quote what uh, Eugene Peterson says, that we have to learn how to cuss without cussing. And what I want to ask is, Dr. David Taylor, do you cuss? No, kidding. I'm not asking that. Um, this is what I'm rapid is, fire. The rapid <laughs> <Yeah>. fire. <laughs> Damn right, I do. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what I'm trying to say is, and I, and I had that, those conversations with my wife, and that you kind of learned that in marriage. How do you really express what you're feeling? Because I can explain, so this is what, but, but it doesn't uh, let you feel or, or let you know what I'm actually feeling. And this series of four-letter words, they do the trick. They do. If you want to know how I'm feeling, let me say those things, and you'll know how I'm feeling. feeling. And, and for that to be space, for that to... So, so do you think, and I don't want to compromise whatever you're saying or doing, but do you think there's a space for cussing in the sense of a right way of doing it because this would actually express what mm. I'm feeling? Mm. I, if, if, I, if I explain it, it doesn't, do the, it doesn't cut it. Like, I have to say this yeah. XYZ words for you to know. And for, for God to know what I'm feeling. Um, so I wrote an essay uh, almost 20 years ago on profane language because I was mm. very interested. In it. it was like right after I, I left Regent. Mm. And I submitted it to Image Journal and, and they said, we're not going to take it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not because they didn't like the topic. This just wasn't very well written. So I just put it away for a long, long time. <clears throat> And then I, I revisited it a couple times, and then I tucked in a little bit of it into my Psalms book. It's like mm. really 20 years later, you pull things out of the dusty files. Mm. But I still have this essay, and I, I'm not sure where I'm going to publish it one of these days. But it is, mm -hmm. I do make a case for the uh, appropriateness or the fittingness of swear words, cuss words, mm. expletives, you know, obscene language. And I do a little bit of a taxonomy. Like, where do these actual words come from? Mm, where does cuss come right. from? Where does swear mm. come from? Where does obscene? obscene? Um, and then I just make a case that, you know, all human societies have this place, uh, this idea of order, that the well-ordered, the well-rightly-related, re where everything's flourishing, everything's related to itself and to ultimate things. All, mm -hmm. all, all human societies, not just tribal societies. Um, and I drew on the work of Mary Douglas, who was an anthropologist, 
uh, on this question. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, you know, we all have experiences of disorder. And the example I give is, you know, hammering your finger, you know, mm -hmm. instead of the nail. And, and usually that, it, it, you know, uh, causes an expletive to jump out of our mouths. Mm -hmm. And the case I make is that's appropriate, right? Because you need some way to say that hammering my thumb is not part of the good order of carpentry. Mm. <laughs> now, the truth is yeah. that swear words are very much uh, social, cultural, psychological, contextual things. Mm. Yeah. Poop. <laughs> uh, excrement. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what, what's, uh, what's another word? What are other safe words? Uh, ex poop, excrement, um, crap, <laughs> right? Crap. Right? So, so it's feces? Like, what, feces, yes. But here's the thing. I was actually in the car with some some uh, uh, other, you know, academic folks um, earlier, oh, oh, this last January. Um, and one of them brought this up from my Psalms book. Um, and he said, you know what? I grew up um, on a farm. And the proper term in our farm culture was shit. Like, that's mm. what cows mm. produce. That's what goats mm. produce. Yeah. And so, like, for me growing up in that world, like, that was a completely normal thing. And then all of a sudden I got in Christian world and it was, I was told that I shouldn't say that. So it's sort of this fascinating little insight in how, you know, these contextual pockets, you know, depending on which way the meter is, you know, is mm -hmm. flickering, something's radioactive or not radioactive. But uh, the truth is I have lots of friends who cuss christians you know cuss freely mm -hmm. i think some of them are cussing sort of as a re overreaction like you know sort of this yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they can just f it up uh yeah. i'm like <laughs> okay I, I guess that's fine um but I, I think there is a place and and i shouldn't say this on the podcast but my wife um has sort of been exploring this linguistic rhetorical territory and yeah. i thought actually babe i, I think you're using that appropriately like fittingly mm. you know like you really are like naming your experience of the world or somebody else in a way it's like yeah that's that's actually the right word and again whatever mm. counts as profane may sort of shift you know mm. yeah but i guess the point stands that is profane things are things that occupy this world of 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 chaos of one form or another mm -hmm. and and words help us name that reality um well mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not saying just, you know, get up and preach a sermon. I mean, Tony Campolo was famous for loving to say the S-H-I-T word and then catching his audience uh, right. by surprise saying, if you're more offended, I said this yeah. word, and you are about your own sin. Uh, you got a problem. And that's not how he spoke, but that's how I imagine him speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whatever, you know. I, I yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Answer totally. your question, Octavio. Yes, um, I do. I actually think there are biblical grounds uh, for this. Now, I mm. would hope that we would handle it with care mm. because yeah. profane language is powerful. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the domain of chaos. Mm -hmm. So we yeah. don't want to add more chaos to the world and maybe what one person experiences chaos is not for another, fine. But the point, I think, still stands. Yeah. Yeah, and, and look, what you were saying uh, about the, the Psalms and, and, and now this profane language, It we, if it's weird, but when you practice it, like you were saying, because in a safe pace with the church and, and how to do it well, and it requires a practice, and then then that dangerous element 
goes down, right? Because you practice it well, you've been guided in how to use it. Instead of, no, no, get the hell out of, I mean, get, get away from those. Get, don't do that. Don't name it. Don't talk. No, we're going to do it together and we're going to do it well. We're going to practice. It's going to be ingrained in you. And I, I love that part when, when we practice it in a safe space. Okay, so I'm going to say two things. One, I just well finished watching the uh, HBO series Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard about it? No, I haven't yeah. seen it. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess I'm just thinking, Okavia, like that nuclear reactors, nuclear plants, it's uh-huh. all dangerous, right? And so you need a level of shared skill, like a common culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to occupy the profession of nuclear staff workers, you know, nuclear physicists. And that's yeah. a case in point where they did not handle with care these radioactive things and that led to mass destruction mm-hmm. and so yeah or, or you know a, a, a carpentry shop full of tools like you need to be trained how to handle them yeah, yeah. culture can be cultivated uh for these kinds of things okay that's the first thing okay second thing i'm gonna say i know this is not a question you sent me but because a lot of people actually want to talk to me about these things, I never get to say that my book also mm. has psalms of joy. So I'm just going to say, for the record, I talk about happy <laughs> things too. So that's even more of a reason why people should read your book. But they yeah. should. Okay, just for the fun of it, I'll tell you, I, I led a small group at my church this fall using my book, which is fun. This was the first time that had ever happened to me. And at the end of it, um, I'd written up, a handout that I've used with my students, uh, how to write your own psalm of lament, which is great, but I'd never written up a handout for mm-hmm. how to write a psalm of praise. But I knew I had an idea of it, so I wrote it up mm-hmm. and I shared it. We we're on Zoom, our small group, and I gave them this framework, um, which was sort of the shorthand of what I think is going on in the psalms of praise, which is to say, some of them, yes, are 100% effusive joy, but many of them have these minor themes of lament in them. Mm, yeah, yeah. And it's mm-hmm. sort of the point I make. Yep. Biblically, theologically, um, joy can make space for sadness in the way that happiness, as we normally understand it, cannot. And that's mm. one of the gifts of the Psalms is you can praise and you know mm. have these little mm-hmm. um, yeah motifs of lament. In fact, in 2019, yeah. I, I taught a course at Fuller on worship, and the very week that we were looking at at the practice of praise, which was looking at the Psalms of praise, the shooting in El Paso took place. I had a lot of mm-hmm. students write me say, I cannot do this assignment. Like I, I'm just, my, my head and my heart aren't in it. So I had to write a note to everybody say, actually the Psalms can make space for yeah. this horrific event. But back to my small group, this is just like a month ago. So I gave them the thing and we were on Zoom. So everybody kind of, you know, um, turned their videos off and I gave them 20 minutes. So the frame was, you have sort of this um, opening acclamation and then very concrete statement of things that you praise God for. And then the third movement is uh, what I, I call so the and, the and yet or um, yeah. b- but mm-hmm. but but still but, yeah. you know yeah there's three lines of those and then you repeated it so acclamations praises and then the but yeah and then I said you know at the end of it if you feel comfortable sharing you know and everybody did I have to tell you it was one of the most amazing experiences because yeah. it was so fun and beautiful to hear the things that people were mm-hmm. thank God for very simple things you know trees in my backyard iced tea. You know, clean change of underwear. Uh, <laughs> the little things in life that you can't thank God for. Um, yeah, yeah. But then the- that a kid will always thank God for. If you ask a child what they thank for, it's always stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I know. I love it. <laughs> but then they all like really gave themselves permission to to name the things that they were still 
um, sad about yeah. or frustrated yeah. or hurt or angry. And just to have that woven in, by, I mean, by the time we got to the end, I, I was teary-eyed with how honest and vulnerable people were. And I thought, mm. that's the kind yeah. of yeah. body of Christ. That's the kind of kind yeah. of worship I want to be a part of. That, that You know, with lament and, and anger, can have these little motifs of joy kind of sneak in also, yeah. right? That protect us from despair or fatalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But praise yeah. and joy also yeah. makes space. And I just think, ah, oh, that's just, that to me is such a joy, yeah, yeah, yeah. the hope of the gospel. I mean, and- and that's so super interesting because I I know most people do ask you about the curse and the things we we definitely don't understand. It, it might come from, of course, Protestant and maybe evangelical traditions where we think, yeah, we get joy, we get praise, we do that all the time. Let's talk about things we don't do. And what you're saying, do you actually get praise in the sense of the Psalms? And when you write about it, it's like, it's not the joy and praise you think it is. Just go deeper. And what you're saying, there's the, that piece. It's not just joyous and victorious and victory all the time. And that's that's the model of, of joy we, we, or praise we follow. What you're saying, there's in the but and the yet, like, yes. interweave there. And that's, that's amazing, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I think it's an issue with the nativity story, right? That unfortunately a lot, well, I wrote a essay Christianity Day a couple years ago called Why Putting Christ Back in Christmas is Not Enough. And so I do a little bit of a history of Christmas and then try to show the reader <clears throat> that Christmas as we practice it in the West bears very little resemblance to the actual nativity stories. And they're influenced by Queen Victoria and Charles Dickens and a lot of the poetry and illustration of the time and, and uh, Night Before Christmas, stuff like that. And, and mm. I have, for the last couple of years, I have worked with three groups of, of songwriters in Nashville, Grand Rapids, and Houston to write new nativity carols mm. that actually give mm. voice mm-hmm. to the actual content of Matthew and Luke, because I think that's going to be better news. And so one of my complaints um, is that as much as I love singing Joy to the World, if it were really actually a nativity caroled, that carol that hymn or a collection of them would also be able to name the fact that every single character in the nativity story experiences loss of some kind right mm-hmm. elizabeth and zachariah they get a child but they're old mm-hmm. they don't get to experience him for a long time they're off the mm-hmm. scene pretty quickly mm-hmm. so that's a loss right mary's life doesn't turn out how she thought it would joseph's life doesn't turn out how he thought it would. the shepherds go back to their you know lower yeah regrettable mm. quote-unquote socioeconomic status uh wise men have their own kind of issues yeah. anna and Simeon have waited their whole life fine it's good news but then you know it's like their losses rachel weeps for her children who are in a, and she refuses to be comforted all those stories and then nameless people you know who lose mm. their little children so i guess what i've hoped for you know in these projects with songwriters is that we would begin writing new hymnody new songs they give expression to how joy and sadness mm-hmm. coexist. And yeah. it's m- m- more deep, more poignant, more potent, more life-giving than mm. the ones that say, all the joy over here, all the sadness yeah. over there, or false sadness, false joy, rather than yeah. sort of the psalmic, you know, admixture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Totally. Okay, so David, do you think we find, when we if we move into the New Testament, uh, do you think we find that same, this same kind of brutal honesty that we're talking about uh, in the books of the New Testament? Uh, the answer is yes. Yeah. Do you want to give us some examples? Yes, ma'am. Uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, Paul uses the lang- language of anathema, 
That's a very honest mm. expression, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, oh, true that. that's basically saying, God true damn that. it, you know, God yeah. damn that. Um, right, right. Uh, somebody famous said, get behind me, Satan. That sounds like an imprecation of some sort. (laughs) His cousin, I think, said the popped off a a few brood of vipers. (laughs) Uh, Exclamations. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Paul, in in his pastoral letters towards the end of his life, is very honest. Um, I think scholars would say he's expressing despair at some level Mm. about his condition. What has Mm -hmm. all his life and ministry amounted to? I I think that's... Mm. Um, that's very psalmic to say yeah. the great Paul is mm-hmm. wondering if his life has amounted to much of anything. I think mm-hmm. the book of Revelation, you know, has a lot of very brutal honesty all throughout mm. the seven letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, few choice words there. So yeah, I think there's some potency, uh, at work. It's important, however, to remember that the world in the New Testament assumes a great deal that it does not name in any explicit way because it feels yeah. no need to name the obvious, which is, right. of course, mm. we're going to keep singing and praying the Psalms. Right, right. So it's just important. Like, just because we don't see sort of a, a you know, a, 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 a new Psalter, a new Psalter is not needed. Mm. They already have the prayer book that they continue needing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you don't get uh-huh. another Psalter part two. They're still using the Psalms. Mm-hmm. But then, so here's a question for you. If they've still got the Psalter, which helps them pray, why does Jesus teach them how to pray with the Lord's Prayer? Well, uh, I, I guess I, I would say that, that those two sources of prayer aren't mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that, that is, it's not that the Psalter is this um, canonically, hermetically, you know, titanium sealed prayer book. Yeah, the only way. It's like a primer. Mm-hmm. You always go yeah. back to a primer, but it's not the only book you need to learn how to speak a language. Yeah, yeah totally. totally. And obviously Jesus' exchange with the disciples is in a context, you know, where yeah. the disciples see other rabbis teaching their disciples how to talk to God. Yeah. And so uh-huh. Jesus says, as a shorthand, now, I think New Testament scholars will point out, a lot of the Lord's Prayer is already psalmic in meditation. Yeah. So it's like he's condensing in, this, in a sense. Yeah. If you only have mm-hmm. 30 seconds, yeah. that's the prayer you can pray. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. That's it. Yeah. I was just, yeah. when you were saying, when you were saying that earlier, I was like, I was like, but then Jesus says that, you know, I was just thinking about the Lord's prayers. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, in the class that I teach on prayer, I tell my students that, that if we only had three, three objects or sources of prayer and didn't have anything else, uh, I would say the three fundamental resources of prayer for the Christian are the Psalms in the Old Testament, the Lord's Prayer yeah. in the New Testament, and the Collect Prayer in church history. One of the earliest yeah. forms of prayer was a Collect Prayer, which is a very kind of clear form. You say, oh God, you who are the God come near. So you're naming God, you're describing God. Then you make a request. We ask that you would be merciful to us when we pull away from you. Um, so that we might know that we are not left to our own devices, but we are in the hands of a caretaker. In Jesus' name we pray. That's the form. Mm-hmm. Very early on, 4th century, 5th mm-hmm. century, Christians yeah. are saying, yeah. I think that's actually a pattern we see throughout Scripture. Yeah. And, so, and that's a pattern that continues through this day. So that's why I tell my students, Psalms, Old Testament, Lord's Prayer, New Testament, call prayer, church history. Church get history. those right, you can pray anything you wish. Once it's sort of yeah. part of the hardware of your own prayer life. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's great. It, how do you personally deal with, uh, you know, a, a re- reading the Psalms through New Testament lenses without censoring what what the, uh, it's, it's what what we're talking about? But how do you do it personally when you read things uh, like when? When Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, if you call fool, I mean, somebody fool, you're in danger of fire hell, so don't insult anybody. Then you take that and you read this, uh, through the Psalms. H- how do you stop yourself from, from censoring the Psalms after, uh, mm. through the lenses of the New Testament? How do you do mm. that personally? Um, you're asking me like a, a New Testament scholar question there. About, <laughs> Sorry about that, David. I mean, I don't know. A a New Testament scholar will have to correct me if I've got this wrong. But my sense of that exchange, that comment of Jesus's, is um, he's warning his listeners, his followers, against language that demeans and dehumanizes. Mm -hmm. That is, the intention of the act of communication is to demean you. Mm-hmm. I think that can and should be distinguished from the kind of language that we find in the Psalms. That mm-hmm. is, um, I can express um, anger towards my neighbor, whom I am experiencing as enemy, but the the logical trajectory of the curse Psalms lands in prayers of relinquishment. So, yes, I can pray those, Yeah, but the terminal point of my prayer life needs to end with a prayer of relinquishment. Into the yeah. hands I commend mm-hmm. myself, my heart, my anger, my hatred, mm-hmm. my rage, mm-hmm. my powerlessness. Yeah. So th- that's what the psalmists are always saying. You, you've got at the end of the day, God, you've got to be the one that vindicates me. Yeah. So I think that's the difference. Yeah. Right? So I'm not seeking to dehumanize, yep. but Definitely. I am saying I am experiencing you as an enemy. And, and Jesus experiences Peter as an enemy. Get behind me, enemy! Uh, Satan is enemy mm-hmm. language. Um, Peter is behaving in enemy-like ways, yeah. satanic ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I guess you know, to kind of the heart of your question. My assumption is that Jesus learned how to talk to his father in his earthly sojourn by praying the Psalms. Yeah. So every, every faithful mm-hmm. Jew would have done that, and so I I take it uh, as my kind of cue to, to follow in his habit. This is to mm-hmm. immerse myself in the Psalms. And I think the trick about, if there is a trick, um, to reading the Psalms well is to reading them um, in holes and consistency, consistently and persistently. Mm-hmm. That is, again, if we only read them in piecemeal or occasionalist fashion, that is, I only read bits and pieces of a Psalm and I read them every once in a while, mm-hmm. I think we're always in a greater risk of mishearing yeah. and misappropriating. Yeah. But if we immerse ourselves so. sort of in that monastic tradition of just is what Eugene Peterson said, you know, in his class, read one a day and get to the end, start over, you begin, it's like you begin to hear things. You begin mm-hmm. how the t- songs are talking to themselves, they're like a symphony, but they're also mutually correcting each other. So they're protecting us from, you know, one precipice or the other, you know, too much or too little or this or that. And so again, like I, I was with the... Uh, um, the uh, Benedictine monks at St. John's Abbey in, in Collegeville, Minnesota, and invited to one of their, you know, daily prayers. Uh, they prayed the hours. And uh, mm. they prayed in a super weird way. Um, it's like, um, what is it? Uh, well, I'll just do the Lord's message. It would be like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall 
not want you know it's like it was super slow and like almost romantic mm-hmm. i was like that's a super it's weird we mm-hmm. pray you guys your hearts aren't in it but they <laughs> pray this stuff night and day for years on end yeah the goal is not necessarily to manufacture a feeling the goal is to be present present yeah. to the words present to one's own heart and mind present to god present to one another and to do that well you need space and that's what they do. They learn that you need space, you know. And uh, so I just, these things you learn along along the way and you're like, mm. okay, I'm not going to be great at it. It's hard to do it when you're on your own. But mm. hopefully, you know, my book would inspire people to say, gosh, I could start over. I could start again. I could find yeah. companions along the way. So that's my yeah. thing, I think. Yeah. All right. I feel like we could, do you want to stop there? I was like, I was going to say, I was going to say, and that's a beautiful way for us to end. Thank and you. Exactly. Beach boys. <laughs> and still with the beach boys. Um, thanks, David. I hope you learned some, um, we were joking before at the start of the podcast that when people write books, they have to talk about it in lots of different contexts all the time. And so we said to, uh, we said to um, David, you know, do you ever get tired of, you know, talking about it? And you were saying, I hope that I get to say each time I say something fresh to myself. About my book. Did you do that this time? Uh, you know, I, I think I did. <laughs> Obviously, you find new ways of saying things. And here's the thing, though. You know, I, I mean, I led this small group at our church on the Psalms, and I told everybody in the group, I was like, just because I wrote the book, I'm not really an expert. Like, mm. I still mm-hmm. have the same issues that anybody else has. I still have the same normal need for these Psalms. I, I yeah. still struggle to not hide and run away from God and myself and others. Yeah. So, I mean, I know stuff. But I'm not an expert prayer. I'm not an expert. No, yeah, yeah. So it's like mm. this kind of exchange with you guys. It's just sort of a little nudge. Like this week, there's some been hard stuff, and talking to you guys, I'm like, hmm. I think maybe the Holy Spirit has used this exchange to bring something to my attention. Oh, <laughs> well, that's not a bad thing. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> David, thanks for your um, thanks for your scholarship and thanks for your honesty and. Yeah, we're glad to glad to spend another hour with you. So thanks for your time. <laughs> yes, man. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> man, good to have you again. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.